Breathe on us afresh this morning. Breathe on our hearts anew, Lord Jesus, and help us to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> you may never have been there before, but there is a special restaurant in the States called uh, Lambert's Cafe. You may have heard of it, you may not have. It's, it, there's only three of them in the whole United States. Uh, they started in a little city called Foley, Alabama. I've never been to Alabama, uh, but this, this particular restaurant I heard about when I was in Bible school, and uh, they opened up a new restaurant in Branson, Missouri, which is more central U.S., a little bit closer to here, but still quite a drive. Anyway, this restaurant is, is your typical Cracker Barrel type restaurant in the U.S., ever been to a Cracker Barrel, you know kind of what to expect. Fried chicken and biscuits and cornbread and, uh, you know, all-day breakfast with waffles and everything unhealthy, I'm sure. Um, but uh, they have their, their typical, you know, uh, chicken fried steak, all these classic American-type dishes. But the thing that, that Lambert's Cafe is really known for, and when my kids heard about this, it's all they can ask is, Daddy, will you take us to the restaurant where they throw rolls at you? And what the, the, the story is, the owner of the restaurant, when he first opened, it was a small little cafe, and he was famous for his yeast rolls, hot, fresh, buttery, melt-in-your-mouth bread rolls that came out of the oven. And he would literally come to the door of his kitchen and say, hot rolls, who wants one? Hot rolls, who wants one? And, and customers would raise their hands. So, so, hot rolls, who wants one? All right. All right. And he throw the rolls. Hot rolls, who wants them? They're not hot, but oh, good. And, and, and they were not. And you can go to any of these restaurants today, and uh, when they have hot rolls, they'll, they'll throw them to you. Hot rolls, right? Just see if you can catch it. And uh, oh, good job, Brian. Awesome. So this is this is the, the, the this is the interesting thing about this uh, this restaurant, which makes it fun and entertaining. Now the reason why he started this is because the restaurant was so small he couldn't get around to all the guests, so they would just throw the rolls uh, to their, their their guests. When I read this verse in Ecclesiastes, cast your bread upon the water. This is just the image I get, you know, throwing dinner rolls around the room and my kids are dying to, for me to take them to this restaurant that will allow them to throw food and have through food thrown at you. Um, so maybe someday if we ever make our way down to Foley, Alabama, for whatever reason, we will, we will, we will go and we'll take a video. I'll show it to you how my kids catch bread rolls. But this is not exactly what the scripture means when it's talking about casting your bread on the water. Now I think of that and I when I've read this scripture, I mean I, as a kid, I remember reading this and going, Why would you throw bread on water? Right. That's just weird. Like you know, it gets all soggy and nasty. I don't I don't know if like I like when I make a sandwich, I eat it right away because if it sits too long on the plate, it, the condensation makes the bottom of the bread soggy. And you take a bite and it just oh, it's a nasty texture in your mouth. So bread on the water didn't make any sense. But as I studied this out, I I learned that, that there's actually two kinds of grain. When you are harvesting grains as a farmer, 
you collect your grain and you divide it into two sections. The first section is your, your seed grain. So you keep, you reserve a percentage of your grain back for seed for the next year. And then the rest of your grain is what they call bread grain. Because you can take that grain and turn it into bread. And typically, that's what you would do. Barley, corn, wheat, uh, rice. You would convert that bread, that, that grain, into an edible product like bread, which was the common food of the day. Bread was the staple food of, of Jesus' day, of Scripture day. Not meat, that wasn't the, 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 the feature at every meal, but it was bread. Bread was the common element in every meal, and meat was sometimes. Meat was a luxury item for most countries and most, uh, in most areas. Bread and cheese was the common dinner items of the day. So when, when the Bible is, is writing this scripture here in Ecclesiastes, uh, he says, the, the wisdom writer of Ecclesiastes, which is likely Solomon, says, cast your bread upon the water. And what he was encouraging, the, the wise thing to do in a year of, of great rain or great uh, you know, uh, abundance, that you would you would you would sow extra. You would you would cast your bread seed on the waters. Normally, you would only cast your your seed seed on the water. You know the the, the seed that was reserved from the year crop before. You wouldn't cast your bread seed because then what would you have for bread? What would you have to eat? But in these years of flooding, and there were certain times, and it wasn't all the time, but. And especially in the Nile region of Egypt, where, where the Nile flooded, it was the common uh, idea to, to uh, structure your harvesting and planting seasons around the floodwater times. Especially with grains like barley or rice that won't spoil. Corn and wheat might, might be a little bit more difficult to throw it on floodwater because of corn and wheat don't typically like a heavy moisture soil. But rice is sown in fields that are covered, completely submerged right, in water. So the, the, the wisdom writer says, cast your bread upon the water. In these years of, 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 of abundance, in these years of rain, in these years where, where it's kind of an abnormal season, and it's not typical for you to harvest or to sow your seed at this time. He said, give give a portion to seven or even to eight. Throw it here and throw it there. And, and don't really worry about what corner of the land you're throwing it on because you're in a year of abundance. You're in a year of plenty. You're in a year of the favor of God. This is a time for you to invest. This is a time for you to, to plant. This is a time for you to, to go out and do a little extra than what you're normally used to doing. And, and even to take the, the seed that you would normally reserve for your bread, you, you, you reduce your eating budget a bit, and you throw a little extra onto your harvesting, your planting, and your sowing. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you don't know what disaster might happen on the earth if the clouds are full of rain, if they empty themselves on the earth, but then if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. And then he says in verse 4, he kind of gives a little parable. He who observes the wind will not sow. Right. He who regards the clouds will not reap. So in this, this year, this, this time, there's, 
there, you know, you're looking at the clouds and you go, well, I don't know if it's going to rain more. And if it rains too much, then my seed won't be any good. And he says, if you keep watching the clouds, you keep waiting for the perfect opportunity to jump in and get the work done, you're never going to reap anything. Right. If you're right. always right. waiting for the perfect day and the perfect conditions to sow and to plant and to do what God is calling you to do or do what, what you know to do as a farmer, then, then you're just going to be sitting on your hands waiting for this perfect opportunity. Amen. To do this. In verse 5, he says, As you don't know the way the Spirit comes into the bones of the womb of a woman with child, so you don't know the work of God who makes everything. You can't really predict. You can look at the weather. I, I do that. I look at the weather app and I dictate my, my day. And we've been doing a little renovation at home. And I, I kind of like hot, hot sunny days or warm sunny days to do painting in the house. You can open up the windows. And, and I said to my wife, I said, well, it looks like it's going to be rain until Thursday, so maybe I'll start painting on Thursday. And she kind of gave me that wife look like, you're going to start painting on Thursday? Translated, no, you're not. And you're going to paint earlier in the week because I don't want to wait right. until Christmas to have this job done. If you observe the clouds, the paint job will never get done. If you wait for the perfect opportunity, just get her done. Get it done. Amen. In the morning, he said, sow your seed. At evening, withhold not your hand. Get it out there. Get, this is, there is, there's, this, there's this moment in the, in the climate, he says, there's this, there's this time where the river has flooded. The banks of the river have extended into your farm fields. And you're never going to get a better opportunity than to guarantee the germination of your seed. As a person who loves to garden, I, I learned that the most difficult part of planting a seed is getting it to germinate. And so I control that a little bit. I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to planting. and I like to control that element. So what do I do is I get a paper towel wet, stick it in a plastic bag, and put my seeds on the paper towel. I'm guaranteeing the seed will germinate in that plastic bag because it's the perfect moisture conditions. If I, I've, I've tried putting it in the soil and squirting it with water and misting it and getting it, and there's there's some success there, but my best success has always been pre-germinating the seed before I put it in the soil, making sure it starts. Once it starts, it'll carry itself the rest of the way. And so the challenge of every farmer is, when do I plant? When, when's the best? When's the weather optimal? And he says, eventually, at some point, you've got to realize the banks of the river have flooded. This is an abnormal season. Something has triggered this extra moisture content in the atmosphere. So get your seed in the ground. Take bread seed. Take your seed seed and get it into the ground. Withhold not your hand. In the morning, in the evening, get the seed in the ground. You don't know which will prosper. This, that, or both alike. I'm going to take this passage of scripture and connect it to some other principles of the Word of God. Jesus, in John chapter 4, verse 35, said to his disciples, he said, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are white, ready for harvest. Jesus made a connection. He took the natural things, and connected them to spiritual things. And while Ecclesiastes is giving some good natural advice, I believe that there is a spiritual component to what Ecclesiastes is teaching 
and what Jesus does. And since Jesus did it, I feel confident that it's okay to do this. In verse 36, he says, all harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought into eternal life. This is not the first time the scripture uses the idea of sowing and reaping and planting and harvesting and connecting it to the idea of reaching people with the gospel and harvesting them into eternal life. Jesus said that the fruit of the harvest, of the spiritual harvest that the church is doing, the fruit of that harvest is people getting baptized, filled with the Spirit, and being brought into eternal life and relationship with God. There was another parable that Jesus told of the sower and the seed. And he told the story of the farmer who sows, and some seed falls on good soil, some seed falls on stony soil, some seed falls on weed soil, some seed falls on hard soil. And Jesus said, this, is the, this parable is, is indicative of the preacher who is the sower. The seed, which is the word, and the soil, which is the heart of those who are listening. Some people will listen to what you have to say about God and the gospel, and their heart is hardened. It's packed down. It's been trodden on by life. And so the seed will sit on top of their heart and not penetrate. And the birds of the air, the devil and his minions, will come and steal away the good of God's word and leave nothing but the shell or the husk behind. And, and then there is, the, there is the weedy soil. This is the soil that's taken up with the cares of life. And so the seed sprouts and germinates because it's there. But then the cares of life, the deceitfulness of riches, comes and chokes out the word and makes it of none effect. And then there's the stony soil. The stony soil is shallow. It's not very deep. And so the seed germinates fine. It's got enough moisture. It's got enough nutrients to go so far. But the seed cannot put roots down deep in the ground. So when the trials of life come, the sun comes out, it burns up that plant. And the word of God dies because of the trial and the circumstance that comes to every person because they could not put roots down deep enough to sustain themselves through the tough time. But then there's the good soil. The good soil is the heart that's ready to hear the word. And the, 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 the word puts deep roots down and then they, they produce 40, 60, 80, 100 times what was planted there. And this is, this is the scope of, of what happens when you evangelize. You're going to get all these different reactions. And what the message of this parable was, don't, don't, don't limit the seed sowing to only the good soil. But put the seed on the weedy soil. Put the seed on the hard soil. Put the seed on the rocky soil. Put the seed on the good soil. Let God determine the increase. You just do your work of sowing the seed of God's word. Amen. So God calls his church to be farmers, spiritually farmers. And in other pastors, he calls them to be fishers of men. So we don't want to mix our metaphors too much. We'll stick with farming for now. I believe God is moving our church into a different time, a different season, if you will, a season of sowing and planting. We as a church last week had talked about our, our mission, our vision, or kind of the, the, the vision behind the church, and that's to love, connect, grow, and go. We're God's calling us to love Him and love others. God's calling us to connect with 
one another and be a family, be a, a community together. And thank God for all of the things that have, have come together through our interest-based groups. Thank you to our leaders and all of you who have participated. You're part of that connecting one another to one another, praying for one another, being together, doing things together. That's part of being the church is connecting with each other. But it's more than that. We've got to actually grow in our faith. We've got to grow in our walk with God. We've got to take another step. We've got to get out of comfort zones. And, and we've got to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's the go element. But then there's the go element. Where God doesn't want us just to sit here and become uh, consumers of his word. And consumers of his goodness. And consumers of his spirit. But he wants us to go and to share what we have received. And think of it like this, the seed was planted in your heart, and it grew. It's now producing fruit. You now hold the seed of God's word in your own hands. Perhaps you can explain a little bit of what the Bible says. Maybe not to the greatest degree, but you can do something. You have a little seed in your hand, and so now God is calling you, you who are sitting here, you who are joining us online, to go and to be like those farmers and cast the seed of the word into the field of the world and see what God will do. In Acts 14, verse 27, the Bible says that when they had arrived and gathered to church together, they declared how God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. God opened a door. He caused an opportunity to become available to the church that had not yet been opened to them before. Before Acts chapter 10, the gospel was only going to the Jews, to the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek Jews, but they were Jews nonetheless. And the gospel was being preached to the Samaritans, the half-Jews. And so they were still connected to that, that Jewish heritage. But then in Acts 10, God gives Peter a dream and tells Peter through that dream, I want you to go to Cornelius' house. He's a good man. He does good things. He prays. He gives to the poor. He's generous. He seeks God, but he needs to hear the gospel go and preach to him. In fact, he's on his way to come and collect you because I've sent an angel to Cornelius, and that angel has told him where he can find you, and so they're coming to get you, Peter. You go with them, and you preach the gospel. And God had to give Peter the dream three times because Peter was so prejudiced against this group of Peter people. Peter was so against going to the Gentiles that as a Jew he would never even eat in the same house as a Gentile because of the possibility of the food being contaminated with, with non-kosher items. And so Peter had never even eaten with a Gentile before. He had never sit in a Gentile's house or been there. But now this Gentile was calling to him and saying, an angel sent me to your house, Peter, and wants you to come and talk to me about the things of God. Peter goes, and in the middle of his message, while he is yet preaching, the Bible says the Holy Ghost falls on that group of Gentiles that was there. And the whole house was filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says they knew that they had, they had received the Holy Ghost because they heard them speaking with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Peter heard these Gentiles receive the gift of God's promised Holy Spirit that he would pour out upon all flesh. I don't know what the Jews thought when they read that passage in the book of Joel, where, where God says, you know, in the last days I'm going to pour out my spirit upon 
all flesh. I think what they did is they inserted a little word in there in their brain, all Jewish flesh. Right? Sometimes we do that. We read the Bible through a lens. But God ripped the lens off Peter's face. He ripped the glasses, the Jewish glasses, off Peter's face and said, No, Peter, when I said all flesh, I meant all flesh. I meant every individual that's breathing, that's speaking, that's standing on two feet, that is able to reason and think. These are the ones I'm going to pour out, and not just on the men, but on the women, on the servants, on the handmaidens, on every individual, the sons and the daughters, not just the adults in the room, but the children are going to receive the Holy Spirit. They, too, are going to speak with other tongues. They, too, are going to prophesy. They, too, are going to do the works of God. In the last days. Uh, the Bible says he opened a door to the Gentiles. So now Peter's going back to Jerusalem. And Peter's telling the rest of the Jews who still have their Jew glasses on. They still have their lenses on. We only, we only reach the Jews. And Peter says, guys, let's, let's take these off. Because God's opening a door. Let, let's remove our prejudices. Let's remove... Perhaps our political ideas or our, our, our way we think the government should run it. The way we think the world should be run. And let's just look and see, hey, there's an open door. I may not like this group of people on a political scale. I may not, I may not agree with the reason why they're here. I may not, I may not have it all you know, the way that, that it should be. It may not be run the way I think it's being run. They may not be doing the things that I think they should be doing. But, but hey, God is opening the door to a group of people that heretofore that door was closed. God sent hungry people to Peter and sent Peter to hungry people. And God opened the door. Amen. Later on in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, When I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened a door of opportunity for me. Paul indicated that there was, a, there was an opportunity when he got there. God made a way into a community that had not yet heard the gospel. Acts 16 and verse 8, Paul has a vision. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing over there urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia. Come over to Greece and help us. Paul has a vision of a man. And so he goes. And in Acts 16, Paul arrives in verse 14 in Macedonia. And when he gets to Macedonia, this Greek area that he was called to in the vision, it was a man. But he meets a woman by the name of Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods and a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. What I find interesting is Paul has a vision of a man. But when he gets to Macedonia, the man was actually a woman. God used the dream or the vision to get Paul where he needed to go. Right. But when he got... Paul to where he needed to go. Paul had to be sensitive to God to say, okay, you're opening a door here, but I don't know what color the door is. I don't know what, what the door is going to look like. God, you're going to have to show me as I get there. And when Paul got there, the door looked a little different in reality than what his vision was, but it was still an open door. Right, right. It was still an open door. God is the one who opens the door. Revelation 3 we read it already this morning. I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Sometimes we don't go through all the doors that God opens for us. Maybe out of fear. 
Not sure what's going to happen, but you know fear is only the shadow that stands in the doorway. It's not really material. Mm-hmm. The thing that, that fear does is it, it makes big what is actually really small. You ever find it interesting that a shadow is often much bigger than the real item? The shadow is projected, but the actual thing that's there is much smaller. The thing that's there is is much more, if you saw the real thing, you wouldn't be as frightened, but the shadow is big and menacing. The teeth look bigger. The claws are bigger, but in reality, it's just a little mouse. It's small, it's tiny, but the shadow casts a big impression. Fear often is bigger. The thing that you're afraid of is bigger in the shadow uh, of what it is that you're afraid of than in the reality of that thing. Distraction, too, keeps us sometimes from open doors. Fights and debates are sometimes a tool of the enemy to keep us busy, occupied, not in what the opportunity is in front of us, but on the things, the the side issues that are around us. See, God has a dream for this church. God has open doors for this church. And if you just indulge me a moment, I'm going to share with you some of the dreams that God has given me for this church over the years and the the things that I've I've wanted to see and felt God has put in my heart, these these visions, these open doors. And maybe they're not open yet, but I'm I'm holding out and, and praying and waiting for God. See, I believe that God wants every family in this city to have somebody in there as a representative of his gospel. I believe that because of the promise God gave to Abraham. God said, I'm going to bless every nation through you, Abraham. And not only every nation, Abraham, but I'm going to bless every family, every unit, every family unit. And so I believe God wants every family in this city to have at least one person baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. I, I believe that with my heart. That's my vision. That's my goal to see that happen. How is that going to happen, Pastor? I don't I don't know. It's not by my mind or my strength or my power. I don't know how to make that happen. But that's that's what I see. That's what I vision. That's what I have in my views. I see this church reaching every demographic, financial bracket of the city. I see this church in a multicultural way. It's not one group, but it looks like heaven does. Every nation and every tribe and every tongue, every culture reached, every every ethnicity, every background touched through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see services translated into multiple languages and trying to figure out how are we going to do that? How are we going to have multiple languages translating in a service for a, for a single service? Maybe those little earpieces and there's going to be a room with a translator. I don't know how it's all going to work, but I'd love to see every barrier broken down so that the gospel can get into the community and into the world. I see the next generation being invested in. I see young people involved because the Bible makes it clear that it was sons and daughters that were going to prophesy. It was young men that were going to dream dreams and old men that were going to have visions. There's a multi 
generational approach to the church. Uh, it's not just one generation that's involved, but every generation involved. The old men uh, having visions and dreams, the young men having visions and dreams and prophesying and doing the work of God and uh, a job for every youth and young adult in the church, uh, music programs and leadership classes, ways to serve our community, supporting for students who start Bible studies in their schools and colleges and universities. I see a church that is reaching every demographic in every area. Recently in prayer, the Lord began to impress upon me that he wants this church to be like a gateway. A gateway that not only reaches this city, but reaches out into other ethnicities, culture groups, and nations that are here right now closed to the gospel. I want to see missionaries sent out of this church. I want people that grow up coming to this church, sitting on the pews, going to Sunday school to receive a call from God, to do a work for God in every capacity possible. Maybe in the professional field, maybe in the in, in, in the in the work field or in the blue collar field in the trades, but also extending out into starting new churches in other areas of Durham and starting new churches in different countries and different areas and, and this church supporting them and sending them out with aid and support and, and people to help them start that next work, that next town, reaching the next group of people with the gospel. See, I believe that God wants to send people out of this church, uh, not just to start a church down the street, but in another nation, in another country. Wouldn't it be something, as a multicultural church, these nations that are closed to the gospel, their political system is shut down to missionaries coming into their borders, but these, these countries have refugees and immigrants coming into the nation of Canada. Wouldn't it be something, and it's already happening by the way, would these people get saved, get the gospel, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Ghost, and then start reaching their own nation with the gospel? That they came here to escape, but God's, God gets them here, saves them, and sends them home. Where, where a, a native to, to Canada or North America could not get into that other country, could not have access to that country, but because this is a citizen of that country, they can easily go home and start an underground church right under their nation's nose. It's already happening. Right. It's happening in other churches. It's happening in, in different areas of, of, of the northern North America and, and people, these people coming to, to North America, being baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, going back to their home country that's close to the gospel and starting little underground works here and there. I see this church ministering to what Jesus calls the least of these, the unsheltered, the orphan, the widow, the addicted, those who are in, in addictions, recovery, special needs, prison ministry, those who are, are down and out perhaps, or maybe uh, um, struggling, who are thirsty, who are hungry, who are naked, who need clothing, who need someone to visit them, someone to step into their life. And Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous shall answer, Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothing or clothe you, or sick or in prison and go visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, for when you did it to the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. I see a church that is reaching into the community of people that are hungry and thirsty and naked and unsheltered and unloved and unreached and reaching them with the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend of mine who's now a minister. He's actually preached in this church a few times. And he told me when he first came to the Lord, came into church and he actually, he got the Holy Ghost that first service he was in or that whatever number of services he had been in he received the gift of the Holy Ghost and his aunt who was attending that church gave him a big hug at the end of the service and, and it wasn't so much receiving the Holy Ghost that caused him to weep uncontrollably but it was the fact that she gave him a hug because he realized it had been years years since somebody had hugged him for whatever reason he was estranged from his mom, his mom and dad had split up. And it had been years since he had received a hug that says, I love you from somebody. And I said, how is that? How is it possible that someone can go years without getting a hug? And you know, I don't know. I didn't even know I was missing it until someone gave it to right, me. Right. Can you imagine how there's people in this city? He grew up in Ajax, by the way. So he's, he's a native right to, from this area. There's people still in this city. It's been years since someone has patted them on the shoulder and said, I'm proud of you. It's been years, maybe never, since someone reached across and gave them a side hug and says, good to see you. I'm happy to see you. I'm glad you're here. It's been a long... There are people in this... I'm telling you, church, there's an open door. There's an open door that God wants us to reach this group of people. What does this have to do with seed, Pastor? You talked about this morning about casting your bread on the water. I believe God is going to bring this church into a season of opportunity. I don't really know what to call it. I don't exactly have all the words put together, but I remember I was at conference and there were some powerful messages there preached and I was praying hard and seeking the Lord for this church and seeking God for the next phase of where we're supposed to be going. And the next morning I woke up with this verse on my mind, cast your bread on the water and you will find it after many days. And I went looking and I began to research and study all the things that I've shared with you. It's a, a season, a, a special season of growth. It's a special season, a little door of opportunity, a little window of opportunity that God gives to a farmer in his field at a certain time and the, the riverbank floods a little bit. It's a little uncommon, unconventional season and, and God has given a little extra uh, something to this church, a little door of opportunity, a window of opportunity, if you will, for us to step through it. God wants us as a church to begin casting our bread on the water. To give a little bit of seven to eight and to, to cast a little here and to cast a little there and to, to put into this fund and to put into that fund and to exercise our faith over here and exercise our faith over there. Okay, Pastor, you got the analogy down. So how does God want us to cast our bread on the water? 
There's going to be a few different ways we're going to do this. As the scripture says, you're going to give a little portion to seven, a little portion to eight. You're going to put a little in this field, and you're going to put a little in that field, and you're going to send out a little there, and you're going to send out a little here. So this is this is where we're going to do five things, five things in the way of giving. As a church, I'm, I'm going to, over the next few months, I'm going to invite you to give sacrificially to five different things that you can invest your seed into the work of God and help the gospel spread a little here and a little there. Number one is your regular tithes and offerings. Why is it important, Pastor, to give your tithes and offerings? Because it supports what God is doing right here. When you give in your, your tithes and your offerings, you're supporting what God does right here in Ajax. We use that money to, to turn on the lights. We use that money to, to buy materials, to, to disciple, to teach. We use that money to uh, turn around and, and start projects and invest in, in things right here in this church. You know, we've done some interest groups. We put a little money into that. We put a little money in our Sunday school. We, 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 we try to be transparent with you every month in the, the bulletin, where the money's going, here and there. And, and it's, it's, it's touching all the little points in the missions of this church. And, and, and that's what the tithes and the offering goes to. But then there's, there's another section that we're gonna, I'm going to be inviting you to give to. And the other four parts of that, that giving spectrum are this. The first is I am global. I am global. I'll be sharing this with you a little bit more as we go. We'll be talking more about this. This is just day one of this. You'll hear it again, and you'll see the whys behind it. <clears throat> as part of the United Pentecostal Church International, we send out missionaries all over the world. We are in 260 countries of this world. There's still a number of countries we're not in. There's still a number of areas we have not yet accessed and people groups. And by the way, when I say that the UPCI has missionaries in every one of these areas, that doesn't mean there's an abundance in each nation. Some nations that are millions and millions of people have only one UPCI missionary in that nation, but they're there. They're on the ground, and they're, they're constantly building schools to train the locals to start churches in their own area. That's what their, their mission is, is to help to reach the people of that nation and to get them to begin to reach their own nation with the gospel. Right. And so I Am Global is a special part of the missions giving. We give regularly every month to uh, a number of missionaries that go to different countries uh, France, the Netherlands, um, I, I wish I would have written them all down, Fiji, we support uh, missionaries in Fiji, we support a few other countries, and I can give you that list and, and show you those, those names, and maybe I will in the days to come. We support them, and that supports their monthly budget. That's a, that keeps them there, so they don't have to try to get a job in the nation they're trying to reach with the gospel. They can just go and preach and teach and disciple and reach and love and give and pour themselves into that nation for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I Am Global helps to get the missionaries back on the field faster. Every so many years, depending on the level of missionary they are, they have to come back to North America and they live. Them and their family live. And we have them come through every so often. And they live in a vehicle traveling all over the United States and Canada. And I mean 
all over, from Florida to Canada and back again, going from church to church, sharing what God is doing in their country. And some of them can spend two to four years in what they call deputizing. So if they have small children, their small children are living in the back of a vehicle for two to four years, depending on how long it takes them to raise their budget to go back overseas. While they are here, they have a group of uh, people called aimers. They send over back to help the, the, the work continue. But oftentimes, it's left to just the locals to keep it going for that period. So it puts a real a hold on the advancement of what they're trying to accomplish in that country. I Am Global is an extra offering that pushes those missionaries back onto the field and often cuts their deputizing time in half. Missionaries that would sometimes spend four and five years trying to raise their budget are only here for a year and a half because of something called I Am Global. This year I felt the Lord really impress on me. He wants us to send out these missionaries. He wants us to help us get them back on the field so the gospel can once again be spread in the countries, in the nations that they're there. I'll show you some videos in the coming weeks that, that'll just soar your spirit. When I watch these people giving up themselves, they're in war-torn countries. They're in countries where they're, some of them are under threat of, of gunfire and violence on every side because of gangs and all these things, but they're still pressing forward and the gospel is being preached. People that would never have heard the gospel had these people not said yes to the call of God and gone and went to that, that city, that region. And I want to help send them back to their field as quick as possible. By the end of December, we're going to give $1,000 to I Am Global. This church is, and however you want to However you want to give, however you want to support, whatever you can afford between now and December. If I have ten families give a hundred bucks, that'll that'll solve that'll solve that 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 offering, and we'll be able to send some missionaries back on the field with that offering. By the way, at General Conference this year, when they took up pledges for this offering, five point four million dollars was pledged to be given to send these missionaries back on the field, and that is a record offering for I Am Global to get missionaries back on the field faster so they're not stuck traveling, cutting their budgets by spending all the money on travel expenses. The third thing we're going to do is we're going to reach the immigrants and refugee families that are right here in Ajax. You may not even realize it, but Motel 8 just down the street is a motel that is almost solely de designated for refugees that are moving into Canada. And there's refugees from Ghana, there's refugees from Nigeria, there's refugees from Afghanistan, there's refugees from Ukraine, there's refugees from, from so the, the list of nations she gave me when she said, okay, they're from all these different nations, is just all over the world. Uh, they're just coming into Canada and they have nowhere to put them. They have no houses to give them, so they're putting them in hotels. These refugee families that are coming here are often coming with no money. They're leaving, they're fleeing, they're running violent situations, war-torn areas. They're trying to come into Canada. I feel God is leading this church to reach these people. Over the coming weeks, we're going to launch this on October 22nd. We're going to put together a, a grocery bag, a grocery toiletry bag for the refugee families that are living in these hotels. 
they don't have cooking appliances they're given three hundred dollars a month to to feed their family and for those of you that know what groceries cost three hundred dollars doesn't buy you a whole lot for a month uh, but that's all they're given so they're relying on food banks and the generosity of others to help feed their families and take care of their needs while trying to find a job and pay for their transportation to get around the city. People that have never heard the gospel are living right here under our very nose. We're going to reach them with the gospel. We're just going to be kind. We're going to send them a, a, a food bag because it's the right thing to do. We're going to give them hairbrushes and toiletries because it's the right thing to do. And we'll let them know we're a church that loves you and we'll be here for you. We can be your community. They can walk to church. It's just down the street. But but the, the expectation is not for them to come to church. We're just going to we're going to give because it's we're casting a little seed. We're throwing a little seed. Yes, we're going to send missionaries back with seed from Ajax. Some seed from your pocket that you could have used for bread. You could have used it for your next project, your next home thing, whatever, your next vacation. Take a little bit of that seed and put it in a bag and we're going to send it, uh, send missionaries back to their field. We're going to put a little bit of that seed into some groceries and, and into some toiletries and give it to these families in need. Why? Because God is giving us an open door of opportunity. We're going to begin to try to reach people in our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in December, we're going to have missionaries to France. Actually, they've been scheduled for a long time. Dean and Laureen Byfield. And they're going to come tell us about their mission in France, how God is helping them to reach them. What's interesting is they're reaching a lot of immigrants in France that are immigrating to France. So they're, they're, the bulk of their reach is much like what we're trying to do. They're trying to reach the people that are moving in to escape the situations in their home. And we're going to hear about that. So we want to give them a good offering. I'm going to be asking you in December, uh, actually the end of November, they're going to be here. The last Sunday of November, they're going to be here. We want to give them a good offering to send them back to help them get back on the field. And then the fifth thing we're going to do is we're going to support something called Christmas for Christ. Christmas for Christ helps start churches right here in North America. Helps send people who have a call of God to start a brand new church in an unchurched city in North America, which, by the way, there are so many unchurched cities in North America. So many cities that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have maybe a smattering of small churches here and there, but there is no oneness, apostolic, Holy Ghost preaching truth church in that city. We're going to help start some of those by giving to Christmas for Christ. Pastor, this is five things we're giving to in the span of three months. That's a lot, Pastor. Yes. Yes, it's a lot. And I'm not I'm not asking you to break your bank for it. I'm going to leave that between you and God. How much you give, how much you support is, is whatever. But if you have seed, bread seed, to cast on the waters, the, the scripture, the thing that I felt God promised was, if you cast your bread upon the waters, you will find it after many days. Pastor, are you, are you preaching some kind of prosperity thing that if I give to all five of these offerings, God's going to put a little extra in my bank account for Christmas? That would be nice. I would love that. And if I believe that kind of preaching, that's probably what I would say. I don't believe that that is the kind of uh, a harvest God is calling us to. 
We're not, we're not sowing into the kingdom to get money and prosperity and the blessing of God as more money in our bank account. But the harvest that we're trying to see reached is souls saved into the kingdom. The harvest is not money in my bank account. The blessing is not financial prosperity. And by the way, when you give to God, God always gives back to you. It's, it's a principle of the word. I, I can't tell you how it works, but I've had, it's happened to me more than once where I've given to God and he's always given it back to me somehow, some way. But the harvest I'm looking for isn't the blessing of money or finances, but it's souls in the kingdom. I want to see people receiving the Holy Ghost right in these altars. I want in the middle of a message that I'm preaching or another minister's preaching for the Holy Ghost to suddenly sweep into the room and people begin to receive the Holy Ghost like they did in Acts chapter 10. I want to see 3,000 like on the day of Pentecost uh, come around and say, what meaneth this? Uh, and they receive the gift of the Holy Ghost like the apostles did. I, I haven't seen it with my eyes, but I'm ready to see it here. And I believe God wants it to happen. Can we stand this morning? So over the next few months, and I promise, these five things and no more. I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not inviting you to give to any more than these five. And I wanted to tell you all five so you knew what was coming over the next few months. But the reason why, the why, is because of that, that, that young man with long, curly spirit matted hair that was living under the bridge on Westing Road. The why is him that wrote on the side, I, I, I rode my bike past him every morning I came to the church. The why was because on his bed sheet that all he had to cover was, this is my property, please stay out. That's all he has. The why is, is the, the panhandlers that I see in the intersections that look like They've been, they've been living under the sun for years and years. The why is the group of refugees that's living on $300 a month for groceries and their families fleeing trauma. I talked to a friend of mine who works in Immigration Canada. He says these people that are refugees are fleeing serious traumatic events in their home countries. They're trying to get out. And living in a hotel for $300 a month is better than living where they are. The why is the souls that have never heard the name of Jesus. The why is the one who's never received a hug, never felt the love of God, but is reaching and is longing for something more than what he has. Can we lift our voice and begin to pray and talk to God? Will you ask him to help you know how he wants you to cast your bread on the water? There's, there, yes, giving is part of it, and this is one way we're going to sow seed. We're going to sow seed in other ways. We're going we're to reach into them through opportunities to connect with our church, through uh, Christmas concerts and things of that nature. Yes, we're going to continue to teach Bible studies, but we're also we're going to give of ourselves to the kingdom of God. I wonder if for the next few minutes you'd find a place of prayer. I'm going to play a little bit and sing, and we'll just talk to God about his vision for this city. Will you help, help, help me pray and seek God for this church and what he wants. Jesus, we want to walk through the open door that you have before this church. That you have, Lord Jesus, to reach our community with the gospel.
In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Lord. Would you take some time to pray and talk?